with money mailbag episode i'm gabby dunn this is a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you this week's wednesday episode was about veganism with environmentalist christopher soul eubanks and vegan cooking youtuber andrew lau you guys had some thoughts on today's show we're going to cover a pros and cons of covered calls email multiple emails about saint jude's and those exploitative cancer ads SSDI and long COVID, and so many heartbreaking and vulnerable emails and comments about your own experiences with cancer and pinkwashing, which was the subject of our episode last Wednesday with Radiant Racheli and Amy and Steph from Cancer for Breakfast. So go check that out too. We already got an email about our vegan episode, which came out two days ago for you guys, but actually just came out today as we're recording this mailbag. So someone wrote in with a long email about the episode right away. And that's what I love to see. Then in the second half of the show, I'm going to read your comments about breast cancer and your experiences with your mother's radiation and blueberries, which uh, I found to be a really moving email um, and an email about school becoming a nightmare. Okay, so let's read this SSDI email. It's very short. This is an email from Michelle and it says, I was hoping you could do an episode or at least a segment on SSDI, especially considering how many people are becoming disabled or permanently disabled from long COVID. Also, if you could touch on people on SSDI who get settlement money and whether or not doing a special needs trust is a good idea. Like what are the pros and cons for people on SSDI to do a special needs trust or if there's better options for people who need to be very careful with their money for the rest of their lives due to disability. Thank you. This is a great suggestion. We did an episode about disability with Carrie Wade years ago, um, but I think it is definitely due for an update. There is a JBU, Just Between Us podcast episode that we did with Eva Sweeney, which you might also find interesting. Eva is an amazing disability activist. We also did an episode of that podcast with Alice Wong, which I think you will also find interesting. Again, another amazing disability activist. But yes, I think Bad With Money is due for an update. So I appreciate this, Michelle. This is an email about covered calls. It's from Katie and it says, Hi, Gabby. On the covered call topic and the idea that it's too good to be true, I have a thought that's been bothering me. With the right assets, it sounds like you can make somewhat decent, consistent returns from writing covered calls. But are you actually making less money in the long run than you would by just holding those same shares because you're selling away your upside? Katie, yes, you're on to something. <laughs> uh, I'll cut you off right there. Uh, you're on to something. Okay, the rest of the email says, What I mean is, if you write a call and the stock ETF goes up, and of course it should if you're holding a good asset, you either lose the shares and their increased value to the call buyer, or you spend a lot of money buying back your call in order to keep the shares. Obviously, you shouldn't write calls for a lower price than you're comfortable selling the stock for, but the reason I think this may be a bigger deal is that stocks usually make their gains quickly. It's not a gradual or consistent rise. So you're getting these option premiums during the slower times, but missing out on the big jumps. Do the premiums you collect ultimately override the lost stock value? Here's an article about how just missing out on a few good days for a stock massively impacts returns in a normal portfolio. 
And then I'll put the link to what Katie sent in the description of this episode. Maybe another listener has some actual research to support or refute my ideas. My searches have come up fruitless so far, and I don't have the ability to backtest it. Also, just a small rant that there are so many predatory and super scammy folks in the world of teaching options. But still, people should absolutely be doing their research with some reputable sources and maybe doing some paper trading for a while slash creating rules and systems before trading options with real money. It can be risky and prone to costly emotional decisions like all stock trading. So there's a reason you have to get special approvals for it. Thank you for reading. I've been listening to your podcast for several years and really appreciate you having these deeper conversations about finances and issues related to them. Yes. So here's the thing. You are absolutely right, Katie. You have picked up on it. Um, I had the experience in the very beginning where I sold a covered call contract on AMD uh, and then AMD shot up and I was very delighted and I thought, oh my gosh, my AMD stock is going to do so well. That is a stock that I want to hold on to long term. Amazing. Unfortunately, someone had bought my covered call, so I actually did not own AMD at the time that happened. I lost out on some money. I did get the premium for selling the covered call, but I lost out on the huge jump AMD made. um, And it was up to me if I wanted to rebuy those shares. You get your money back. Like if someone buys your shares, you still have the money at your disposal. You just can't get the same exact shares back because... Your call was called away and uh, now you just have the money that you had and you have to put it somewhere else or you have to wait for it to go back down or you just have to sort of be like, ah, I have to invest somewhere else or I have to buy less shares. So, yes, that is absolutely a thing that could happen. That is why I feel that there should be a big delineation between what you sell covered calls on and what you hold long term. I'm, again, not an expert. I see people writing covered calls on Apple, and I find that to be very interesting because to me, Apple is something you hold on to for decades. That is absolutely not something you play around with in covered calls. I think I know you're looking for information, and I think if you look up long-term stocks versus uh, short-term covered call stocks, there is a difference. I know for a while, a lot of people were writing covered calls on Chewy, which is the pet supply store. And I think that's one where that was doing really well during the Um, initial stages of the pandemic. And then it stopped doing as well. And that was fine because you could just then use those premiums to buy more long-term stocks like Apple, Microsoft, et cetera. Yeah, I just, I think there should be a, a lot of research done on what makes a covered call and what makes a hold. And for me, I'm not currently, I don't have any contracts open right now. I'm not currently selling any covered calls because I feel comfortable with my money in uh, long, longer hold stocks. If I come into some money and I put it in the stock market and I want to do some more covered calls, I can. But right now I'm sort of just holding on to the longer stocks that I have. Um, that AMD thing was slightly heartbreaking, but it was okay. And ultimately, I didn't think of it as lost money because it was money that was never mine. Like, I just thought of it as, well, I have what I had. I didn't lose anything. Technically, other than feeling entitled to what I could have had. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Katie, you are absolutely right. So this is another email and it is about school and it is from Layla. And it says, Gabby, hi, I hope you're doing well and staying safe. Wow, thank you, Layla. My name is Layla, she, her. 
I'm a current college student at NC State University and aspiring social worker. I've been listening to Bad With Money for two years. The way you intersect social justice and personal finance is very informative, and I've recommended it to countless people. I'm writing in because I have a dilemma, and I was hoping you or one of your listeners could provide me with some advice. Trigger warning for chronic illness and substance use mention. Let's take a little pause. I was accepted into my dream school for social work, Columbia University, which has an incredible policy program and is number one in the country for what I want to do. At the accepted students webinar, I felt so welcomed and I knew this was the place for me. The issue is the tuition. I've been applying for scholarships, but I am still so overwhelmed by the expense. I'm doing a part-time program because of my chronic illness, but this makes me eligible for less financial aid. Getting the acceptance letter was truly a dream come true. Throughout my college career, I've been incredibly sick with stage 4 endometriosis, an autoimmune type condition where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus, known as the endometrium, decides to form adhesions that attack your reproductive organs, resulting in incredibly painful periods. I've had four surgeries in the past two years and been on a round of the chemo-like medicine called Orlissa, which put me into menopause at age 22. I wrote my application to Columbia on a narcotic cocktail, praying for the pain to go away. My hope is that by getting my master's in social work, I can work in disability justice and create policies that better reflect the realities that chronically ill and disabled people experience every day. I don't have much money because I've spent everything I have on treatment and surgeries. I plan to work part-time in grad school, and I'm also looking into public service loan forgiveness. I'm working right now as a college student and trying to save up as much money as I can. If you have any advice for me, I would love to hear it. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I really appreciate you taking the time to read this. Sincerely, Layla. You know, it's interesting with what people call disability porn, which is like this congratulatory, patronizing, you're so brave response that people might have to an email like this. I just want to say that to me, this shows that our education system, our financial aid system, our healthcare system have all failed Layla. Um, And regardless of that, she is doing the best that she can. In a perfect world, Columbia would understand this and and (laughs) give her like a full ride. In a perfect world, she wouldn't have had to write her application to Columbia on a narcotic cocktail. You know, I think people could could read this and think, wow, this person is really persevering. And I don't think that you aren't, obviously. But I just think the idea that you've spent so much money on treatment and surgeries to get a degree to help other people is like an American tragedy. I think public service loan forgiveness is a great thing to look into. I do wonder if there are specific scholarships for chronic illness. I know a lot of people um, are becoming more open about their struggles with endometriosis. I wonder if there might be a particular endometriosis scholarship. I wonder if there are scholarships specifically for people who want to work in disability justice, grants maybe. I think that it's incredibly honorable that you want to take your own experiences and use them to create better policies for people like yourself. It is so heartbreaking to read someone who wants to help our world (laughs) meeting financial roadblocks at every step of the way. If anyone has better advice for Layla, um, please let me know. But 
I won't patronize you by acting like this is some indication of the American dream when in, in reality it's it's indicative of the realities of many people's lives where we're not doing enough. Now we're going to read an email about our veganism episode, which just came out. And then we're going to go into all the emails that you guys sent about our pinkwashing episode, because there are a few. This email, trigger warning for animals, trigger warning for food, trigger warning for racism and misogyny. And if you don't want to hear talk of, of food in this way or of animal meat in this way, I'm going to give you a pause. Hey, Gabby, I loved your episode about veganism. You treated the topic respectfully and acknowledged your relevant interests and behaviors without dismissing it. At the end of the episode, you asked about when you learned to view animals as products instead of beings with interests of their own. This is a term called carnism, which is the invisible cultural lens that reduces animals to objects to be used and ranked in their usefulness to humans. It's why many cultures eat chicken, cows, and pigs and their byproducts, but refuse to eat dogs, cats, and eagles. This concept was coined by a psychologist named Dr. Melanie Joy, and she expounds on the concept in this video. And then I'll link to the video in the description. Carnism is a lot like racism or misogyny. Oh, okay, let's keep going. In that it is a cultural practice that is difficult to see without some serious inspection. It's like how a fish might not notice water because they've always been immersed in it. It's invisible to them. For many humans, especially Americans, carnism is invisible because we have been immersed in it since we were infants. One of the first things many babies drink is the stolen milk from a non-human animal. Ooh, we're getting into it. These are the types of emails I expected. Back to the email. Then we are inundated with foods that disguise their true nature. Chicken flesh is rebranded as chicken fingers. Cow flesh is rebranded as hamburgers. Pig flesh rebranded as bacon, etc. No one person is responsible for this as we all grew up bathed in the ideology of a carnist culture. Much like racism and misogyny, carnism is systemic. Ooh. Okay, this is fascinating because I am sure people have thoughts on the comparison of carnism to racism and misogyny. I am delighted by this email, mostly because I think it will set off a conversation. And I have never heard of carnism. And I am always excited when there's new conversation starters, when there's new uh, things that I know people have reactions to, and I can't wait to hear them. Okay, back to the email. There's a book that I love to recommend to people who are deeply curious about breaking some of the more harmful systemic practices of our culture. It's called The Sexual Politics of Eating Meat by Carol J. Adams. In the book, the author shows how all oppression is interlinked. Racism fuels misogyny. Misogyny fuels racism. All of them are fueled by our treatment of animals. <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands together um, because I, I, I don't know how I feel about this. Our domination of animals teaches us how to dominate women, people of color, LGBTQIA folks, and anyone else we deem inferior. The problem isn't the object of our domination, it's the act of dominating that needs to be discarded. I know you'll continue to stay curious about these topics and recognize that we are all trying our best in this capitalist hellscape we call America. I know vegans often get a bad rap for coming across as arrogant. I don't think I'm better than anyone else, but I'm certainly better than who I was before I was vegan. Choosing to live in alignment with my ethics is more rewarding than I could ever imagine. It's allowed me to avoid much of the cognitive dissonance I experienced for many years. I now own a small business called Rainbow Crafts, where my partner and I make handcrafted vegan soaps, candles, bath salts, lip balms, and beard oils. 
Learning to apply my ethics in my personal life has empowered me to assert those same ethics in my professional life. I love the pod and can't wait to hear what you put out next. Thanks so much for the hard work you do to make it happen each week. Zach, he, him. Whoo, Nelly, Zach, you really, you came in hot. This is not the same as the libertarian email, but I do imagine we will have a bunch of responses to this. Wow, 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 wow. I'm smiling because, ooh, ooh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Coming up, I'm going to read all of your comments about cancer. Okay, now I'm going to read some emails and comments uh, regarding our pinkwashing episode, which came out last week with Amy and Steph of Cancer for Breakfast and Radiant Racheli, who is a uh, cancer survivor. People had thoughts. Let's get into it. This is an email from Hillary. Gabby, my name is Hillary, and I wanted to thank you so much for doing this episode. My mother died last year on January 7th from stage four appendix cancer that had spread to her liver. I greatly appreciate your talk with the Cancer for Breakfast podcast when they mentioned on how cancer can be found in one place, but then people can also pass away when it spreads to another area. I also appreciate y'all speaking on how there are other types of cancers that don't get the same amount of awareness like breast cancer. Appendix cancer is extremely rare and has a five-year survival rate depending on the stage discovered. I did say my mom was at a stage four when diagnosed, but she was able to live for six years while also working as a postpartum nurse until she passed. Listening to the episode was not easy for me, but these discussions already need to be had in order for people to understand more about cancer and how pinkwashing is bad. Love your Bad With Money and JBU podcasts and appreciate all you do. Thank you for sharing that, Hillary. This is the reason I did the episode, so thank you. Okay, this is an email from Jennifer, and it says, Hi, Gabby. I love your show, and your recent episode about pinkwashing cancer was incredible. I was reminded listening to it of a conversation I had with a close friend a few years ago. My friend is a medical physicist working in radiation oncology. Basically, she uses radiation to treat cancer patients. Sometimes this involves a linear accelerator. Sometimes it involves a tiny radioactive rod she has to place in people's breasts, prostates, even eyes. A few years ago, I mentioned to her that someone I knew had posted on Facebook that you can cure cancer with blueberries because of the antioxidants, obviously, lol. She sighed a huge sigh and told me that she wished blueberries could cure cancer, that if blueberries could cure cancer, she wouldn't have to wear a little thing on her name tag to tell her how much radiation she had been exposed to that day, and she wouldn't have to make sure that the prescribed treatment wouldn't accidentally give her patients radiation poisoning. I get where conspiracies come from. Our medical system runs on making patients go bankrupt to get treatment, and our ableist culture insists that sickness can be avoided through virtue. But whenever I see some wild claim that a food or supplement can cure cancer, I think of my friend, who would much rather give people a bowl of blueberries than a dose of radiation. Thank you for all that you do, Jennifer. That was really beautifully written, Jennifer. If you're not already a writer, you should be. This is a Facebook comment about the episode. Um, and you can find Bad With Money on Facebook at the link in the description. This is from Cassandra, and it says, I loved this episode so much. One thing you touched on briefly that I want to emphasize is that everyone can get breast cancer. My father died when his breast cancer spread. He had been going through diagnostics for almost a year before they thought to check for breast cancer. By that point, it was already much further developed and harder to treat. I have personally hated the pink breast cancer ribbon since middle school. It helps people think of breast cancer as a woman's issue. I'm not even going to touch Save the Tatas. You did a fantastic job unpacking that. 
Please, everyone, learn to do breast self-exams and do them regularly. This was an Instagram comment about the episode. Debbie wrote, What a great episode. My mom died from breast cancer in 2004 at 60. She was diagnosed in the early 90s in her 40s, had a single mastectomy, and treated and cleaned for years. It came back in her hip and treated again, then finally in her skull before she died. I feel a little bitter about the awareness-only things. They can't help people in my mom's situation. My mom also had access to one of the best oncologists and fully primo-insured through my dad's corporate job. I'm so sorry for your loss, and um, thank you for saying that the episode touched on something you're bitter about. I feel like a lot of people are bitter about it, so you're not alone. This was a comment on the Discord. I won't say people's names on the Discord because, I don't know, I just find it private unless you tell me that I can use it. This person wrote, Had you like to be stopped in a cop in pink patches? Have seen pink undershirts as well. Didn't completely finish listening to the episode before realizing this was mentioned. I am speaking from firsthand experience. It's one of the last places I'd expect to see pink breast cancer stuff. So what this person is referring to is um, police officers wearing pink badges or promoting breast cancer awareness that you can find out more about if you go back and listen to the pink washing episode. Um, This person linked to something called the Pink Patch Project. That seems really weird to me. Go listen to the episode for more information about why. Okay, we have two more emails. They're both about St. Jude's. So you can hear more about that too originally in the pink washing episode. But I will read these Uh, responses to what we talked about about St. Jude's in that episode. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for the most recent episode on pinkwashing and other cancer money issues, particularly with younger adults. I have felt baffled by the corporate pinkwashing trend for many years and hate the way companies profit from people's goodwill, but ultimately just exploit cancer patients in the process. For some personal background, I was diagnosed with a rare form of ovarian cancer last year when I was in my early 30s, which resulted in needing a full hysterectomy. I was fortunate that it was caught early, but I will need to be monitored for many years to come. I have been cancer-free for a year now, and it's still something that I continue to deal with mentally and emotionally, and the fear of recurrence never quite goes away. One thing that caught my attention from your episode was when Racheli mentioned that St. Jude is one of the good ones when it comes to cancer charities. I have become a lot more aware of cancer news now that I have been more directly touched by it, and recently came across some troubling information about St. Jude. You can read the article below, but it basically claims that St. Jude hoards millions of dollars in donations and continue to amass great wealth while families of cancer patients struggle, go into debt, or create crowdfunding sites to make up the difference of what St. Jude does not cover. This is Gabby speaking, allegedly. But I will put the link to uh, what Rachel sent below. Continuing the email. In their many successful marketing campaigns, St. Jude claims that families will never receive a bill. But that is not true in practice because they have a very strict rule on what they will or will not cover. Only allowing one parent to stay on site, not including meals or travel costs, not including living expenses for parents when they are not working to be with their child, etc. There are instances of families sleeping in their cars in the parking lot if they cannot afford a hotel. Truly awful. I have seen anecdotally that people would likely be better off donating to their local children's oncology hospital unit if this is a cause close to their heart. I know it can be so tricky to find reputable nonprofits, and we all do the best we can to do our part, but I have personally decided that I will no longer be donating to St. Jude as they have enough money. My donations can be better spent somewhere else. Here's the article in case you want to see for yourself. Thanks for taking the time to read this, Rachel. I will link to the article below. I do agree with donating more locally. 
in general. I will say that. Here is a comment on the Instagram that is also about St. Jude. For Instagram, I'm not going to say their full account name because I don't want anyone to get spammed. So I'll just call this person Stitch. You say in this episode that you feel gross when you see those kids in the I assume hospital ads for St. Jude's. That's because it's exploitative. While those ads probably do make money, they are creating pity slash inspiration porn about children who can't properly consent. Often the kids feel obligated to participate for the organization that helped them, even if they don't feel comfortable being the subject of a stranger's pity. There's this amazing disability activist called at Nina underscore tame, and she has been doing amazing work about similar appeals with disabled children. Strongly recommend checking it out. Disabled people should have dignity always, as should chronically ill people, and these kinds of campaigns often don't grant that to them. Sure, they might not get money in other ways, but that doesn't mean it isn't problematic or exploitative for those kids slash sick people. Yes, wow. Thank you so much for writing that in, um, and I will check out Nina Tame. You know, it's interesting that this all dovetailed with the school email that we got, too, about chronic illness, um, even though that person wasn't particularly referencing cancer. So thank you so much for everyone who wrote in and shared and was vulnerable and really cared about the work that I'm trying to do here on Bad With Money. I've wanted to do a cancer episode for forever, so I'm so glad that people responded to it. And I also, you know, have wanted to do a veganism episode for forever. To get an email right away as soon as the episode dropped was amazing. Controversial or not, I can't wait to hear more about what people think. You can send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. You can also listen to me at 8 a.m. on my new AMP show, This Week in Gay. If you go to my Instagram at Gabby Road, you can find out more about it. But it is a call-in show, so you can also call in and talk to me there. Okay, love you guys. Bye! Done.